0: All right, good morning. Going to throw the Sunday school teachers off because we said 10 after, it's probably gonna be earlier than that. Um, And we do have a time for the Sunday school, Sunday school, for the skating party, and that's 9.30 to 11.30, so. All right, a month ago today, if you can remember that far, Uh, You might remember that we reviewed a couple of our church policies that visitors and potential members often have questions about. One was the role of women when it comes to teaching adults, and the other was the way that we practice church membership. And I also indicated that there was a third policy uh, that warrants some explanation and that I would address it on the Sunday of our congregational meeting, that would be today, and that has to do with uh, scrutinizing songs that are used in corporate worship, using some guidelines uh, to determine what is appropriate and what isn't. And there are a number of popular songs out there that Christians enjoy, but uh, we might not include them here for any number of reasons. And to some, especially among uh, outsiders or those kind of new to our church, those reasons can come across as being too picky it could even feel like we are quenching the spirit, so I want to spend a little time on this, and uh, this is the sort of thing that we could easily spend two or three hours on, but we won't. I'm hoping to provide an adequate explanation in 20 minutes, so start your stopwatches if you care to. So we're, we'll begin uh, here with just a couple points of clarification to kind of set things up. For today, I'm, I am just addressing what's appropriate for corporate worship on Sunday mornings, the points raised may or may not apply to settings like campfire sing-alongs and concerts and music played on Christian radio stations and so on, or venues that are more entertainment-driven and, and the like. That's, that's a different discussion. And also, our policy is all about using discernment in regards to the lyrics. Um, we don't address in our policy the music style itself. Uh, no argument is being made for traditional or contemporary for slow and meditative, or fast and upbeat, for pipe organs, or guitars and drums, and so on. The question of what kind of music style is appropriate for the worshiping of God could be a good discussion, but it's not part of um, today's agenda. For today, the plan is relatively simple. We will just work through the policy itself as stated in the membership handbook. Um, on this, we have six points in our I'll, I will simply read each one and add some comments along the way to help explain uh, the reasons behind them and what's going on. So the first one is dong, um, sorry, songs must be doctrinally sound, all right? I can't imagine anyone disagreeing with that. This is the first and most important point in our policy. If something in the song may seem a bit confusing or unfamiliar, then the uh, worship leader is encouraged to offer some clarification. To say that a song must be doctrinally sound is not to say that everything it says has to be stated correctly in a doctrinally precise way. Right? There is a difference. Songs are basically poems, and so it is expected that we would extend what is called poetic license uh, as needed. And we try to be as generous as we can in this. So a perfect example of this to kind of illustrate it would be um, Charles Wesley's famous hymn, And Can It Be? In one of the verses, he writes these familiar words. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Right? Emptied himself of all but love is not how we would say it if we were doing an exegetical study on Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Everyone following me? All right. In his incarnation, Jesus did not, for instance, empty himself of his divinity, of his divine nature. But we know the point that Wesley is making here, that in becoming a man, God the Son, motivated by his love for us, left the glory and riches of heaven, And um, it is the nature of poetry to convey the gist of something or to focus on a specific element. And we don't expect a detailed explanation of all the particulars, like we would in a didactic study. Occasionally, it might be appropriate for the song leader to point this out, but the song as written is quite rich and certainly worth singing. An example of where it is difficult to extend poetic license would be the favorite Christmas Carol. Anyone want to guess where I'm headed here? Which one? away in a manger, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. The issue here isn't lack, isn't the lack of doctrinal precision, the very gist of that line is itself troublesome. The lyrics promote a popular yet troublesome view, heretical view of Jesus called docetism, that Jesus wasn't truly human, not fully, as evidenced here by the claim that he did not cry. So babies need attention when they are hungry and they need their, and when they need their diapers changed. And since they don't have any language skills developed yet, God has designed them to get our attention with that noise that we all cherish so much, right? A loud 150 decibel nonstop screaming and bellowing and crying. When the little baby Jesus woke up, this is what he did, all right? And when he cried, it wasn't sinning Uh, to to suggest that he didn't cry is to plant in us ever so subtly this idea that he isn't really one of us, he's not like us, he's not truly human. And if not truly human, then we end up with all sorts of serious theological problems, which we've talked about lots of times here in the past. And then we might run into this challenge. There are times when it can be a little tricky to figure out what the song is actually saying. And or where the limits are when it comes to poetic license, and so sometimes it just takes some time to work through it, and maybe a judgment call is, is required. So this past week we have a good example. of This Dave and Josh Miles and Tim and Josh Birch, and I we were all interacting on a um, in like a text messaging platform called Slack about the song called what the song titled What Wondrous Love Is This. The last verse contains a line that reads, when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And I thought that those particular words reflected a certain platonic view of life that had plagued the church in the earlier centuries. I'm kind of sensitive to that sort of thing. And it's this idea, that, a common one, that our souls are imprisoned in a human, in our human bodies, and they need to be freed, uh, but they won't be freed until that moment of liberation we call death. And after death, Free from the body, we will sing even more into all eternity. But as the discussion of the four of us continued, it seemed that the issue here was the preposition from, and that, and that I was interpreting more like by, as in when by death I'm free. So looking at this a little closer, and uh, as it is worded, we are being liberated not from our human bodies, but from death itself. And this changed the meaning a lot uh, because prepositions matter, of course. And so biblically, we could actually understand this to be the moment of our future resurrection for that is the moment when we will be liberated from death once for all, raised from the grave. And that this verse is referring not to heaven, but to the new creation itself. Now, to speak candidly, I'm not all that convinced that the composer actually had that in mind. But as worded, this meaning could be read into it and would make it especially rich. And so this might be a song where some comments beforehand could be helpful. So many more examples could be given. I think you get the main point here. The teachings we present, the creeds we recite, the the prayers we pray, and the songs we sing, we just need to do the best we can to make sure that they are doctrinally sound and line up with the truths of God's word. And hopefully you can appreciate that. All right. Second policy is worship is our subjective response to God's objective truths. Here we're just kind of stating a fact to kind of set what our thinking should be. And it needs to be said that subjective responses are a good thing. Joy, gratitude, a feeling of awe and reverence, and so on are to be encouraged, not stifled. Impassivity, you know, emotional detachment, isn't a virtue that the Bible calls us to exhibit. So expressions like clapping our hands, raising our hands, shedding tears, and so on, they should not be encouraged either explicitly or even implicitly. Did I say, should not be discouraged? I think that was a Freudian slip. (laughs) I'm impressed. Let me say the whole thing again, just so there's no, nothing being muddied here. Expressions like uh, clapping our hands, raising our hands, shedding tears, and so on should not be discouraged either explicitly or implicitly. All right? <laughs> All right. Um, but again, very important here. Such responses are to be, of course, the result of apprehending You know, grasping and pondering profound truths about who God is and what God has done. And unfortunately, so often in modern music, we find that the time of congregational singing is being emotionally driven for the sake of the emotion itself. And on this, the verse that comes to mind would be Colossians 3.16. Most of us here should be familiar with it. Here we learn that our time of corporate praise and singing is part of our ongoing attempts to disciple and train the believers which reads this way, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So there is both a vertical aspect to our corporate worship, it is unto God, and also a horizontal aspect. Through the truths contained in the songs, we teach each other and impart wisdom through the singing of them. Okay, which leads us to number three, which is closely related. Songs that boldly declare God's truths are to be preferred over songs that merely convey our feelings or our responses. Um, So the trend here for the last 30 or 40 years or so in contemporary worship is to repeat over and over and over certain phrases that when accompanied by an engaging melody, will attempt to inspire certain emotional feelings for God, endless repetitions of I love you, or I will praise you, or I will exalt you. Now, this itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but if the whole morning is filled with just this, then we really have missed the opportunity to teach and encourage each other with the cherished truths of the faith as called for in that Colossians passage. And on a vertical level, one has to ponder which approach glorifies God more. So let me illustrate what I mean by this. If I want to bless Josh Miles, I will refer to something specific that warrants a compliment. Something like, I appreciate all the work that you put in that sermon you did two weeks ago. Uh, that illustration about how that false messiah was able to inspire hope and expectation was quite helpful. Or I could say, you bless me, you bless me, you bless me, you bless me eight times, followed by I praise you, I praise you, I praise you, I praise you eight times. Which would Josh prefer? How do you want others to compliment and praise you? I would argue that it is the same with God. When in songs we are declaring truths about who he is, singing about his nature and character, his attributes and truths about what he has done, Creation, events in history, the ministry of Christ, the atonement, his promises for us regarding the future, and so on. This, I would argue, blesses God and glorifies him more than just repeating something endlessly, blindly, over and over, like, I exalt thee. Number four, songs that ask God to sanctify us, or similar requests that are sung from the perspective of a prayer, also have value especially if the song contains strong content about God's character or taken from Scripture. Here we might think of Create in Me a Clean Heart, uh, Refiner's Fire, Be Still My Soul, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. But again, I would suggest that for, this, that for any given Sunday, we would also include, with those songs of praying about our walk with Christ to be deepened, didactic songs, songs that concentrate more on what uh, um, More on proclaiming truths about who God is and what God has done. Number five, when all else is equal, songs that are sung from the corporate perspective, we, are better than the individual perspective, I. Okay, this is not a a, a big, heavy point, as I will explain later, but they are to be preferred. And the reason here should be pretty obvious. On Sunday, this is corporate worship, all of us together. It is not me and Jesus and a hundred other people who also happen to be in the same room. That's the mentality that a lot of people have. That's not how this is. Unfortunately, many of the hymns and songs are actually written in the first person singular, filled with references to I and me. And now we don't like to do this, but sometimes we might take the liberty to change the wording to we and us, as long as we don't violate the copyright when we do that. Now, again, this particular point doesn't carry as much weight as the ones I've mentioned earlier. This is not a deal breaker, so to speak, but still something worth mentioning. And this is because it is, after all, again, corporate worship. We are all sharing in this together as a community of faith for both mutual edification and mutual worship of God. We and us helps to convey that idea better than I and me. All right. And now for the last one. Wow. Wow. Maybe I just need to do the whole thing over again just to take up some more time. Here we go. Now for the last one. Song leaders are, of course, encouraged to interact with the congregation as needed, pointing out significant truths in certain verses, explaining difficult expressions, that kind of thing, um, as needed. Uh, So I I have an example here of the song, Here I Am to Worship. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say you are my God. So some see this in the sense of, I stand in all of you, and all I can do in this moment is to acknowledge your right, your worthiness to be worshipped. But to others, and this is how it came across to me initially, it comes across, it's more like, look at me, God, I'm here, and it's your lucky day because I'm going to worship you. What do you think about that? It just could go either way. And so a couple comments now and then might be in order. And there are a number of songs like this that, um, you know, some clarification would be helpful. Not necessarily every time. And actually, I think that Dave and Guy and um, others, I think they all handle this really well. I think they offer those explanations now and then that are, you know, that are good for the rest of us to hear. All right, now for some some concluding words here. Music, of course, is an area where it is hard to get even two people to agree, (laughs) much less a whole church. Um, There will be different opinions on not just the appropriateness of certain songs and certain lyrics and songs, but the music style itself and so on. You know, too many songs this morning, not enough songs, too heavy on the drums, not enough on the flute. We don't clap our hands enough. Let's hope that no one ever claps their hands. You know, (laughs) music is too loud. I wish Guy would lead music every week. I wish Guy would never lead music, you know, and on and on. (laughs) Unfortunately, folks, I mean, not unfortunately, I go again, I'm saying the wrong word. Fortunately, fortunately, folks here doing, I think, a really good job of not turning their preferences and opinions and desires into something contentious. this This is a great blessing we have here. But it could have the potential for that, and, and it, it, it often is contentious in churches. And so hopefully those who have strong preferences and opinions, that they will continue to show patience and forbearance in all of this. And, um, and even though we have time for questions, my note says, fortunately, we don't have any time for questions. So, <laughs> Actually, I understand, Guy, you've been talking about this some with the youth group. So is there anything here you want to add to what I've shared? When we're talking to people about songs, and we've had conversations about what kind of songs we should do, and people will submit them. And the question is, it might be an okay song, but like you said, does it really serve the purpose of uh, of, of,
1: of aligning ourselves with the truth of who is and so. Okay. And then
0: I get, but I'm also because I tend to
1: look at songs to study uh, the,
0: how they grew what the field is. I've got good people like Dave who say. What does it really what's it really doing when I mail the cardboard make sure that
1: I do it too? All right. Dave, you want to weigh in on anything? Well, if I do, I should I mean, are there people online?
0: Well how long do you planning to take here with this? I
1: would just make sure it's five can Yeah, that's okay.
0: I want to stand right here. Please do. I don't
1: care. So, or no. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> the problem. Uh, um, no, I've done this online, and I sometimes we watch. And it's like, don't don't they know they're not mic'd? Like, <sighs> <sighs> all right. <laughs> just doesn't seem that hard. Um, anyway, so I'm gonna first repeat what Guy just said. No, I'm not. Um, actually, uh, some specific things were, I, I actually had some examples that I thought would be helpful because, uh, so I appreciate Wendell covering this. One is an ongoing, still controversial thing that I'm probably not supposed to talk about, but I, th- I think it'd be fun to talk about. Um, so there is this, was it a Wesley song? Nate and I had picked it out, and he came up with a better tune for it. So it's, um, what is it? No, no. That's like, no, that's like a new hipster doofus song. Depth of Mercy. Depth of Mercy, right. So that's a great example of how it can be difficult to kind of traverse this line between uh, artistic license and what we mean by supporting scripture. So there's a couple lines in it um, that Wesley, uh, I forget if it's from uh, 1 Corinthians, but anyway, it says, it talks about, I, my master, have denied... I have basically talking about re-crucifying Christ. And of course, in a literal sense, hopefully those aren't the things we, we mean, un- unless you're like like we say, okay, if you're, an, um, if you're a backslidden Christian, you five people can sing the song and the rest of us are gonna be quiet. So that, that doesn't really help, right? <clears throat> but the intention of Wesley seems pretty clear that we're just saying like when we, when we deliberately sin, it's as though we're doing that, but you can see like, maybe having the conviction like I can't sing these words because it sounds like I'm confessing to something that I haven't literally done. So frankly we're still trying to work out what to do with that because I miss singing the song, but I think there may be a valid point there. And so it's like what do you do? And then the playing it safe is not singing the song. So but the just the fact that we take that seriously I think is the main point and that we want to be careful. So did anybody notice the two word changes this morning in the songs that we sang? I know Josh was on it. I, okay, so the Arise song, do you guys notice the difference? Like, they actually change the words from how we normally sing it. It's like, if we're going to focus on the words, <laughs> but nobody knows them. Uh, so he said uh, his blood atoned for every race. No? Nothing? <laughs> okay. So it's normally all our race, meaning, not white people. <laughs> what is that? What is that supposed to mean? All our human race, right? So that's obviously what's intended originally in the song, his blood atoned for all our race, and then to uh, sort of update the words, because this might be dicey if people read it and don't have the context and they don't understand it, for modern language to say his tone, his blood atoned for every race is a, basically, you might say, it's a safer way to say that. And then you can argue whether that's being politically correct or not, but you can see why they would do that, right? And then there's, of course, antiquated language like um, the updating what we sang was originally Isaac Watts, When I Survey the wonders Cross, so that um, the wonderful cross, uh, he changes it from uh, an offering far too small, and he changes it to the word present, and of course that kind of thing doesn't trouble us too much because some hold the idea that we wanna make it as understandable as possible, and then some of us find that the older language in some ways is richer, and of course that's obviously a very disputable matter. So anyway, I appreciate all of Wendell's comments, and. Um, I th- We still have like 12 minutes. Um, Anyway, no, it's great, and I I agree with what last my my last comment. I agree with what he said about people can have strong feelings about it, but can be charitable about it as well, and then understand that the goal is to worship together musically as best as we can. And so, I do appreciate that.
0: Okay, thank you. All right. Next week, um, I don't know if you've been following this or not, but I want to weigh in on the recent uh, dust-up between the popular pastor and radio personality Alistair Begg and American Family Radio. How many are aware of what's going on here? Okay, some of you. uh, Which that radio had been until recently airing his program Truth for Life, so this, of course, has to do with a comment he made about attending same-sex weddings It's been a while since I've talked about that. Kind of would like to think this is a good time to revisit it and kind of rethink through some of that stuff. And so um, that's the plan for next week. And then the week after that, we will begin a new series working through one of the books in the New Testament. So at this time, we're going to take a 10-minute break. So at 10 after 11, we will resume here with our congregational meeting. And um, you guys, will hopefully the goal is to have you out of here easily before noon. Um should be before that, but that's the goal, no later than noon. All right, so just take a short break, and then we will resume shortly.